Hey everybody, this is your host Sean King with My Youth on Record. I'm sitting out this episode and filling in for me is Stefan Brackett. We spoke with New Politics lead singer David Boyd. We hope you enjoy. So I didn't even know the artist. I just liked songs. And I was like, I love this, but, or, you know, they played in battles, whatever the DJs. We just followed the DJs. Like, that's how it was. So I never knew I was listening to Prince. I didn't even know who Prince was, in all honesty. I didn't know that this was Led Zeppelin or that this was Jimi Hendrix or James Brown. You know, it's like, you knew James Brown. Of course you did. Welcome to My Youth on Record, a podcast where musicians share the music they created as teens and the stories behind their songs. My name is Mona. Today we welcome David Boyd, lead singer of the Danish rock band New Politics. David deconstructs his song West End Kids and explains how it relates to his experience as a teenager. He also shares valuable tips on synthesizing multiple interests into one dynamic project. Let's listen in. I just want to get right into it with you, man. Let's do it. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you for being here. Um, We are the ones who are never loved. We are the kids who will never grow old. Grow up. Grow up, grow up, yes. Um, And then the next lines were... uh, We're the voices you never heard. We're the fire you never let burn. We never let... We're the fire we never let... But they never let burn. Yeah. Talk to me about those lyrics and you being a teenager. Are those the words that match your experience? Um, it definitely that, I mean, it definitely does. It's definitely a layer. Mm-hmm. Like, it's a little rebel and trying to figure out who you are. But there's certain, like, things that are set in stone that you just know as a person or you should at least know. Mm-hmm. There's certain things you have to know about yourself that can never be taken or bent Mm. by anyone else or anyone outside. Like, you can always learn, you can always make mistakes, you can always better who you are, you can always change who you are, but there's certain things like, that's just who you are, your identity, your person, and and certain rights, and those are like rights that you can never strip a person from. And I think those are like good reminders, and, and I think that song kind of probably expresses that aspect of it. And kind of like going away, starting something new. You know, all we need is luck and love and, you know, a dream and hopes. And, you know, and then like throw that out and and kind of just, you know, take that road and just kind of see where it goes. But still knowing who you are, like not forgetting, you know, your true cores, your values. And I think I think that song kind of signifies that definitely. And so overlaying that on 14-year-old you... Yeah. What what is that road like on that path to self-discovery starting in Copenhagen? Copenhagen, Denmark, yeah. yeah. Um I don't know. Um that's interesting. I was really into soccer back then. And you know, that's important because you know, you live life trying and especially as a teenager like you're reveling from like everything, all the moles that, you know, and the protection of your parents and whatnot. And I feel like there's this constant ever-changing world around you and you're like a part of it and it's so real to you. And so you're like pressured to try, you know, you're constantly trying to, to do something, be a part of something, be proud of something, 
And I think in all of that, it can also, you know, there, there's a lot of rubble and a lot of, uh, you know, fog and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And I think that like, or unclear or setbacks, failures, whatever. And I think, I think they can really affect you in a way. But if you also at the end of the day, know your worth and who you are and your, your true like values and stuff, I think that's really, really important to, to, to taking everything as a lesson because really you're going through life trying. So it's really all just a, a lesson, I think. You're alluding a lot to a journey. Yeah. Right? And so like there's steps forward and there's steps backwards. Yeah. Can you give us a greatest hits of David Boyd's biggest swings and misses? Like biggest try and fails when you were on that road to discovery as a teenager? Well, I mean, originally, um, I really got into like music and it got to a point where I had to decide like, was I going to do soccer or music? Mm -hmm. um, and I liked them both, both equally in their own way. Mm -hmm. Like there was something about like soccer that was like, you know, the running, the breathing, like playing on a team with people and you know, taking a team somewhere, having goals of becoming something, you know, that you loved and getting acknowledged for it. And with dancing, it was similar. But I think why why I was attracted to dancing more was that there was less discipline. Like it got to the point with like soccer where I had to get up before school and start running and this and whatnot. And it was like a lot of sort of like rules based around it. And there's a certain way to play. And sure, you can break you can break the rules within that. But I feel with dancing, it gave a certain joy and it was really like an outlet without me knowing it probably even and a way to like give me something that I could work for and perfect and take it to places, you know, it just took over, you know, dancing took completely over and how I got introduced to music. And I, I truly believe now when I look back at it, like I was born and raised in the center of Copenhagen. Mm -hmm. so. For some reason, there weren't a lot of musicians, but my attraction to music was always an outlet and it was always like something that I was into. I feel like looking back at it now, if, if there were musicians around, I think I would have definitely have picked up, you know, the guitar and piano in a, in a sense. But um, I feel like what was around me was like skateboarding, rollerblading, you know, DJs, um, a lot of like dancing, dancers and stuff like that. There was like an, an urban sort of, you know, and then grunge music was really popular and, you know, 90s hip hop. So I feel like, I feel that that became sort of my core outlet and what I, like what eventually became my journey of music because dancing is really music, you know, and, and I can really see that now that I have such a gigantic library of music and I don't even know what artist it is. It's like when I, when we moved here 10 years ago and I started really going into what music was and, you know, I, I was like, oh, that song's David Bowie. Oh, damn, I've, I've jammed to that sample a million times or Rage Against the Machine or, you know, or this or the Motown or this or the, the salsa and the merengue and all this kind of stuff. And I'm like, wait, that's that? Oh, my God. You know, like it's almost like I worked reverse in a sense. And I just started to lean towards just music became like my everything and I expressed it through dancing and movement. 
And eventually I met musicians and that's where I automatically started asking questions like, but wait, how does this become this? That's a chord and it's a progression and it's a this. And what does that mean? And blah, I'm in this. And, you know, I started asking questions, you know, and, and I would relate to it in a sense. I could only relate to it in a sense of music or, or dancing. Mm -hmm. So that became sort of my tool to relate to music. Eventually, I met someone that, um, a producer that was looking for someone to help out with lyrics in English. And my dad's American. So I went to an international school and we spoke English at home. So I had an advantage with English. And, you know, he, he probably felt like, oh, I can get this guy to write some lyrics and it would be amazing because I don't know how to do this. So I met up with him and he like gave me a couple of instrumentals and I misunderstood it. I thought I had to write the melodies and the lyrics. And I was like, well, they kind of go hand in hand. The lyrics have to match the melodies. So I like went back to him and I started trying to like sing, you know, the melodies. And he was like, oh, you made melodies as well? And he was like, I had the melodies already. I just needed lyrics. And I was like, but don't the lyrics have to match like syllably and this and or with syllables and this and whatever? And he was like, well, yeah, that we can just fix. But like, because I had this melody and then he was playing back. My melody was his and he was kind of like, I, I actually really like your melody, you know, and I was just kind of basing it off of like a basic, you know, intuition. And then he was just like, well, do you want to do four more? You know, so then I did four more and I did like seven songs. And I had another friend that was a producer that knew him and heard like, oh, and he was like, wait, you could, you do music and stuff. And I was like, no, not really. You know, I, I love it. But, you know, so I did a couple of songs with him that he wanted to do like a solo project for me. And it was like really cheesy stuff. Just like, V-I-G, you're my energy, my one, two, three, my ABC. <laughs> and it was like, we're using all these like <laughs> lyrics, like jumped out the shower, looking fresh, smelling so clean. <laughs> it's just like. <laughs> <laughs> it was like an urban kind of like urban rock Mickey Mouse club yeah kind of totally wow. and totally just was like was there any artists that you were trying to emulate in that approach I mean I guess at that like at that exact period like R. Kelly B2K and like stuff like that was really big mm -hmm. and it was like I guess a form of imitation or like inspiration at that time which is really weird but <laughs> I just remember, and it was a short, it was a very short lasted period. And, um, you know, you're not ready because it's like, you're searching mm. and you're never going to have the answer. I believe even to this day, after 10 years as new politics, where we make a living off of it and tour and have traveled the world and this, we've been signed to major labels. Now we're going independent. It's like, you know, you're always trying, like we're back to that, you know, the trying factor, because you have to manifest it. You have to believe it. You have to be it so that you can do it, you know, because then, then you'll force yourself to do it. And by doing it, you'll, you'll end up having something in return. So I feel like, you know, back then that's kind of what it was, but I knew something wasn't right. And I was like, what is it I have to do? And I was like, I need to find something that is a fusion and a reflection of the things that have inspired me so that it can be expressed correctly. And it got to a point where I was so desperate and I almost signed a deal. And that's where I met CERN in the band. And, um, and we kind of clicked and spoke and stuff and met up separately. And that's when we started what is what has now become New Politics. And he was sort of like that missing link into like giving that counterbalance. And, and I think we kind of like filled each other's missing parts or whatever, you know. And a new band is born. 
Little did they know that their very first time performing would be in front of 200 people. David shares more with us how new politics formed and the lessons they learned along the way. There was like this competition and I, I, it kept coming up and I was like, no, 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 you know, uh, this is, you know, we're not doing it this way. We have a plan, you know, we're going to go sign with a major label or we're going to bypass everything in this. And eventually I was like reading this newspaper and I went, I was on the way to the studio to meet with CERN and I was, it was like in big and it was like three days left to sign up. It's like the biggest competition in Denmark, you know, like 700 bands will like, like join and stuff like that. And when, if you win, you get like, you know, they'll like support you, give you, you know, kind like development type of thing. Yeah, exactly. And like connect you with, a, you know, the top people and stuff like that. So I was like, I looked at it and I was like, we've nothing to lose. I was like, why don't we just do this? This is just like a sign. So I went over there and I was trying to convince CERN and he was in the beginning like, no, 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 no. Oh my God. And this, no, no, no. I don't even want anything with the industry and this and that. And I, you know, it was like, I'm done with it and this, you know, we're just going to have fun and do stuff. And I was like, but we're going to do that anyways, win or lose. Mm -hmm. So we're like, and we're still going to do this and meet up. Nothing's going to change. If anything, we'll get like an honest opinion from people, you know, because it was, it was viewers that voted. So I was like, we have nothing to lose, nothing at all. There's nothing to be worried about. And he was like, oh, okay, whatever. So like, this was like on the day we had like a few hours before, before it was mm -hmm. done. So we like sent in, you know, took pictures on our iPhone. We had a, a, a Nokia, uh, we had an Ericsson mm -hmm. and like, it was like the new four pixel, pixel <laughs> camera. <laughs> and it was like, we took like pictures and we were like, we filled in the form and we had to find a name right there. Oh, you didn't have a name yet. We didn't even have a name. We were just like, it literally, this is what created the band. Like we just threw ourselves into the lion's den and we're just like, we'll roll with the punches. So we like, we're like rubberhead bandits. And it was like, that became the the name, you know? And we took like a dishwashing glove and we like made a picture where we put, where we put like CERN has a bit of like a graphic <laughs> editing skills. So he was like, he quickly like, we made a picture and he like, you know, put on like rubberhead bandits, like text on it and mm -hmm. like rendered it and this and that. And we sent it in and we sent in these two songs and... I'd been listening to all our demos and I was like, I was telling him, dude, we're a band and we don't even know it. It's like, look at these songs like Remember Me, Monkey Funk, uh, Stress, Make Money, all these sort of songs. They're like a fusion of our like our youth and like what we're going through. And it reflects that perfectly. So he was like, OK, whatever. So we sent in two songs and like a week later or two weeks later, I get a phone call and it, and they're like, yeah, hi, Snake, I'm a devil, blah, 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 this and that. And they're like, um, oh, sorry, now I'm talking Danish. Uh, <laughs> they were like, uh, sorry, they're like, oh, we, uh, um, I just wanted to call, are you available to perform? You've been picked. So out of these 700 bands, they narrowed it down to like 36. And then four and four would play at different venues around Denmark. And it would like narrow down where there was only four bands left. And then it would be like, in like a big venue in Copenhagen, a venue called Vega, which is like a bigger, a, a bigger venue. So we ended up winning the entire thing. And that was the first time I held a mic and sang in a mic on stage because we'd just been doing it in studios. And it was the first time CERN ever stood up with a guitar because he's really a pianist. Wait, wait, so how did that show go? Oh my God, it was chaos. Literally, the judges, the only reason why we went through that show uh -huh. was because of the votes 
so we were the most entertaining band. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they made it in a way so that if you came for the band that you were invited by, you couldn't vote for that band. Uh. So it was like a natural vote. If you couldn't vote for your band, which band would you mm. vote for? So we ended up getting 100% of that. And uh, the judges were just like, there's no way. These guys are like horrible. <laughs> they just didn't understand it because I was so nervous that I was like singing and I was like, oh my God, this is like horrible. How many people were in that audience? There was probably like two, 200, something like that. You know, it was like for me to like put a curtain over the talent and skill aspect, I was just madman on stage. <laughs> I was doing everything so people were not listening to the music. I was like flipping off stage and I started just b-boying whenever I could. I was like doing a song on my head, just yeah. like, look at me, don't listen to the song, just look <laughs> at me. Like, I was like, do you have patrol him? Put me on fire, goddammit. Yeah. And CERN was doing the same thing. He was just like nervous about to have a breakdown before we went on stage. And I was like, dude, it's going to be fine. We lo- Nothing's going to go wrong, this yeah. and that. And I was like, we're going to win this. We already won. Trust me, we already won. And we did. And we ended up winning the entire thing. The, the best thing is that we started rehearsing. So when we went, when we got through, when we got through the first round, we were like... Play first, rehearse after. Yeah. (laughs) And we didn't get the full story till the end when the judges ended up loving us. Like it was such a like comeback kind of like, you know, like thing because they ended up really liking it. So we were like, we got to start rehearsing. So we were like rehearsed once a day and this and that. And we were like perfecting our songs so we could do them somewhat, you know... Good. <laughs> so we were like rehearsing, rehearsing, rehearsing. So we ended up winning the second round. Mm-hmm. And then on the second round, the main judge came up to us and he was like, you guys are so different. Like, he was like, that first round, I was just like, all of us judges were like, I'm sorry, I just don't get it. It's just not for us. What do you think your teenage self would have thought being at that concert? Oh, man. Was your teenage self even in like in the back of your head a little bit or no? Oh, absolutely. Mm. That's all this is. Yeah. <laughs> like really. I probably would have said some stupid shit like I could do it better. <laughs> <laughs> the classic teacher. At least the B-boy stuff. <laughs> yeah. Well, and a lot of stuff you're, you're talking about, you're talking about like self-determination. You're talking about liberation. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and so I'm kind of for our understanding. How do you get a b-boy in Copenhagen? Paint the picture of how a soccer-obsessed young man in Denmark, in Copenhagen, falls in love and is exposed to hip-hop and b-boying and then is able to take that love into performing in front of people that you have no business being in front of. Like, how does that happen? In Europe, what what happened, from my knowledge, is that in the 80s, this is what I was taught, in the 80s, there were certain crews like Battle Squad, Actual Force, Second to None, and, you know, Suicide Lifestyles, whatever. They were like breakdance crews Mm -hmm. in the 80s. And back then, there wasn't internet and all that kind of stuff. So this is a story I know. So if anyone's, you know, I might be wrong on, you know, this is what I was taught. That's how it always is in hip-hop. Exactly. Because it's... Like the thing with hip hop is that like it goes perfectly with technology and like it reflects youth mm-hmm. and and it gives like a, an outlet to express itself, I feel. And it really saves lives that way in a sense, you know, when you when you really strip it down. Mm-hmm. And but what what happened here is that 
because of TV and with no internet and stuff like that, Europe really learned from the States and all of the Main Street pop stuff that came out of the States, you know, like Beat Street breaking this and Rock City Crew and whatnot, you know, New York City breakers and all that. And then on the West Coast, it was all like, you know, the Boogaloos and, yeah. and um, the TV shows, Soul Train Soul and Train, all that yeah. kind of mm-hmm. stuff. And what happened was when it died in the States, Europe never got that memo. Yeah. So it was like the people that I know that were around in that time, like Mm -hmm. the 80s and early 90s and stuff like that, they were just like one day their dream was to one day go to the States and battle and beat all these guys. And that was like their drive. So like when they in the 90s went to like some of my friends, like the people that I learned from, they were like, we like organized, you know, like Storm and Swift and Blum and this and (laughs) We organized this trip to New York and we we're going to go there and we're just going to make a super team and just destroy everyone. They went over there. They started doing it and people would laugh at them. Yeah. So it was like, so they were like, what's going on? And everyone was doing like what ended up becoming house. Mm-hmm. You know, it was like a freestyle sort of like, you know, in New York, Detroit yeah. and stuff like that. So like, what's the crew with Link and all those? Oh, um, the Mob Top crew? Mob Top, yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, like with their documentary and stuff mm-hmm. like that. That's what, that's like how the scene was. Yeah. So they were they were there like and when they would like battle these people, it was just a whole different thing. But there again, it shows you what hip hop is. It's a reflection of what what is around at the time. Like that style of like house and, and whatnot was like and freestyling mm-hmm. was a perfect reflection of Tribe Called Quest, mm-hmm. Karis One and this and whatnot and, and and all of the bands, you know, De La Soul and this, whatever. Like if you went to clubs at that time, I can imagine that's what all it yes. was. Mm-hmm. So like that type of music, like if you compare it to what breaking was in the 80s, a sort of electro kind of like you know, with yeah. like, you know, like it, it was like a different thing. So of course, if mu- if something changes, the art will change with it. And like technology, urban and art or underground or whatever reflects those things perfectly. Like because they give tools and they give they give a platform to express itself. So I feel that it's that hip hop is just a perfect reflection of technology and what what urban is going through. David's advice to his younger self, never stop learning. This motto carried him from interest to interest and on plenty of musical journeys. Let's listen in. What advice would you give your teenage self in really like pursuing the arts? Master your craft. I think that's the most important thing because then you have something like there's no denial. Mm. You have something and, and that's really going to reflect and help you, I think in life, you know, and I think constantly being open to learning. It's like, I mean, I know so much more than I knew Mm -hmm. five years ago, you know, like I'm a completely changed man. Mm -hmm without losing anything that I was five years ago. But, and I can, I can only imagine back then, you know what I mean? But like back then it was just like every day, you know, five hour dance sessions and then to the club and this and that, you know, it was like, that's all you did. Like, like if you want to be a musician, a writer, this master your theory, you know, listen, listen, learn, like, look what's going on. 
doesn't mean you need to do it. But inspiration works in a funny way because, like, I read somewhere that, like, the best artists are, the, are, are like, the smartest thieves. You know, and, and in that explanation, the person says, you know, there's quality, quality stealing, and there's, but there's nothing that hasn't been done. There's nothing that, you know, even if you do something that seems new, it's just a different approach to something that's already been done. So many things that you're saying are very much in line with how we teach here at Youth on Record, because ultimately we feel like we're not necessarily just teaching music, we're teaching liberation. We're teaching young people to find tools and power within themselves to determine their own stars. But it also is at the same, same time that we're talking about young people, um, it's kind of a question that Mona asked earlier, I just want to get to the brass tacks of it. Would your teenage self be a fan of new politics? Oof, that's a good one. I don't, I, I'm not sure I would have been a fan of it. <laughs> That's one of my things. I had a very low attention span. Uh-huh. I mean, you know how it is. Like, you, like you're dreaming, you're thinking dance, you're doing it five, literally five hours a day. It's like we would do street shows the entire day, then we would go to practice, and then we would go clubbing, and then we would, like, sleep till, like, 11, 10, go back to the street for noon or something, do the afternoon, and then go, you know, from 6 to 10 to like, I mean, it was just the entire day. And when you when you have that, and, and that's for like period a period of like good eight years of your life. Yeah. So like my attention span, like I would just get mixtapes from DJs. Yeah. So I didn't even know the artist. I just like songs. And I was like, I love this. Or, you know, they played in battles. Whatever the DJs. We just followed the DJs. Like, that's how it was. So I never knew I was listening to Prince. I didn't even know who Prince was, in all honesty. I didn't know that this was Led Zeppelin or that this was Jimi Hendrix or James Brown. You know, it's like, you knew James Brown. Of course you did. But it was <laughs> like, but it was like, you didn't know his, you didn't know his story. You, you never fanned about it. Yeah. So I like if I would have gotten a record and I to get into a band, there's no way I did that. Yeah. I would do that in my my youth, mm -hmm. which is also a good sign. Like I was inspired by so much, but not knowing what I was inspired by, which meant I didn't build any walls for myself. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So it was just like it was like a library or tool of inspiration without me even knowing it subconsciously. And I feel like maybe if you go too much into it, you start like comparing yourself. You start this, you start this, you know. So maybe it was also an advantage. That makes sense. You know? In the process of talking with you, if I were to use one word to kind of encapsulate you, I would say synthesis. And what's that? When you're bringing together things. Because I'm talking with somebody who started with breakdancing in Copenhagen and street theater and then like got a record deal as an accidental songwriter and is able to bring these things together in like a pop punk, rock, dance-infused thing. Like you're bringing, and then also being able to bring the conversation of two different continents together. It's just really fascinating to be sitting here with you and your story. How has that bringing of two cultures influenced your life work, your life, your music? Man, thank you. Um, one of the biggest things when I reflect back is like, I'm still learning. Like, I'm really still learning. Like, and it's like, I think you're really right about like 
putting everything together and making sense of it and then expressing that because there's so many layers to it. And I feel like every chapter brings a new element to something. But also, I think moving here to the States and has really influenced me a lot, like from a reverse standpoint, mm-hmm. you know. And that's kind of funny. Like, I was like, I, I've become way closer with my American family since I moved moved here. And so, like, when we were on tour, when we were on tour, you know, before I was married and had a kid and all that, I would, I would like, on the days, breaks, I would, like, fly to the Bay Area because that's where they're from, the fam- my f- um, American family. Mm-hmm. And a lot of them I don't know. Like, I wasn't raised with my stepbrother and sister or cousins and stuff mm-hmm. like that. So I remember we were on a tour and we sold out the Fillmore in San Francisco. Yeah. And um, the opening band was opening up for us, a band called Bad Sons, phenomenal band. I was sitting there with my dad and I was like, these guys are amazing, you know, check them out. And, you know, and we were sitting there and then he was like, you know what's amazing? When I was between 17 and 21, that's usually when we would come to the concerts here and we watched, we saw like Jimi Hendrix, Janis Joplin, The Doors, you know, Mm. and bands like that or whatever. He was like, now I'm here and it's a sold out crowd and you're going to be on stage. But that's like, that's again bringing that sort of like mm-hmm. how life works. Mm-hmm. Like in some things come full circle in an odd way. And all of the trying and working up leading to that makes it what it becomes, mm-hmm. you know? Because I mean, also at the end of the day, what you take with you are, are memories. All the other stuff is is only that deep, you know? My Youth on Record is proudly brought to you by Youth on Record, a Colorado nonprofit organization where local teens are empowered to find their voice and value by working with local musicians as their educators. Teens in Youth on Record's programs are working to be both the next generation of creatives as well as community leaders. They do this through music, poetry, and storytelling. My Youth on Record is one of their newest programs. Learn more at www.youthonrecord.org. A big shout out to Oso Motley for our theme music this season. They came to the studio in Denver, jammed with some of the Youth on Record students, and we couldn't be happier. Thanks so much. 